Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Coach Speak. I'm Matt Seidel, along with fellow hosts Derek Seidel and Josh Tropet. This episode is brought to you by Monroe Sports Varsity Athletic, a quick turnaround, high-quality business for more than 30 years. Contact Randy or Kim Wyndham at 734-652-0720 for a great deal in your next purchase of sporting apparel. Today's guest is Leanne Ream, the head girls basketball coach at Saline High School. Coach Ream is entering her fifth season as the Hornets head coach after 14 years at various sub-varsity levels. Since taking over, she has posted a 66-22 record, including a 40-4 mark over the past two seasons, to go along with two district titles and one SEC Red Division Championship. Today, Coach Ream lays out the core principles and culture that drive Celine's program, along with detailing the training and actions that allow Hornet shooters to be so successful from beyond the three-point arc. Also, during our shot clock segment, she addresses the shortage of female coaches at the high school level. So, without further ado, here is Coach Leanne Ream. Coach Ream, before we get rolling, we just want to welcome you to the pod. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You know, and hopefully, hopefully you forgive us uh, for having Coach Fazek on before you. We we clearly <laughs> were not we're not thinking straight at the time. So just apology. Hopefully, hopefully you accept that. Hey, listen, any any conversation with with Jake is an interesting and engaging one, and so I I don't blame you at all. <laughs> that's a, that's a nice well way of putting it. Nice way of putting it. So. I'm serious. <laughs> hey, so you and I spoke the other day, and it took all of 30 seconds uh, for me to realize what you were most proud about uh, when it comes to your program. And your exact words, if you don't mind me quoting you, were, we are a culture-driven program. So, you know, for some coaches, you know, words like that, they come across a little bit cliche, um, but that does not appear to be the case uh, for the Slim program. There's definitely a genuine quality to what you and your players have going on there. So that said, do you mind walking us through the dynamics of the Celine culture and maybe even the core principles? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our whole program is is founded on three core values, um, and we do we design every practice, every drill, every conversation we have, the way we carry ourselves, the way we act, all surrounding these um, three core values. So the the first one is intentionally inspired. We're, we're inspired on purpose. I and we truly believe that being inspirational and being inspired is like a muscle. You have to work it. You have to be intentional about seeking it, about being it. And so we try to be intentionally inspired in everything that we do. The second one is being fiercely united. You know, there's a lot of teams and programs that say, oh yeah, we love each other. You know, we're, we're a family. I hear that a lot. I've been a part of teams that say it, but we try to take it to the next level. We're not just united. We're fierce about it. You know, there's a, there's a strength about our relationships. There's a way that we fight for each other. There's a way that we get to know each other, both as players and as people that, that makes us all know and have confidence that we have each other's backs in, in every moment um, so that we can become a family. And so we're, we're fierce about being united. That's one of the things we talk about the most. And then the third one is gratitude. We take time to be grateful for the small things. We embrace the moments. We seek joy in the moments. We talk about the precious present a ton. 
and, and how right now is just a gift. And what can we do in each moment to, to embrace that gratitude, both on the court, with our families, with our teammates, with our teachers, um, and just in the world. So those are our three core values, intentionally inspired, fiercely united, and gratitude. So when you say you, it's something you guys uh, invest in every day, you know, with uh, every practice or every time you guys are together. I mean, how, what does that look like? How do you incorporate that into a practice or into a team meeting, et cetera? I can give you a few examples. I think that anything that you're going to be good at, you have to spend time at, right? Like, so like for any program, the things that they're the, each program's the best at is the things that they actually designate time for. And so it can be easy in the grind of the season to say, oh, we got to get to, you know, this scouting report. We got to get, put this play in. We got, but we stop and take time to talk and to, to, to build the culture because it doesn't happen overnight. It has to be deliberate. And in order for the, the kids to really buy in, you have to do it every day. They have to see it's, it's a thing that you live by. And so I give you an example of something that we did practice for each of them. So if, if that helps. Absolutely. Um, so one thing we did last year with intentionally inspired, it is actually inspired by a, a game that I saw my kids playing, my, my younger, my daughters, um, we were um, in the car and there's this game called Skittles where you, you call out cars that have skit, the colors of Skittles. Anyway, so as they're, they're going around every time we're driving, orange car, green car, you know, whatever. So um, I had our girls do that same thing. So they had to count how many Skittle cars in a week that they saw and they were put into teams and they competed who could see the most Skittle cars. And, and so the big takeaway at the end when we came together was, wow, did, did you ever know how many orange and green cars there were in the, the Ann Arbor area? Did you have any idea? And they're like, no, I started seeing them all the time, all of a sudden, once I started looking for them. And that's the same thing with being inspired in life. You see what you seek. I was looking for orange cars. And so I saw orange cars. And so like, if I'm trying to be inspired, I have to seek it. I have to decide that's something I'm looking for. And then all of a sudden there's inspiration all over the world um, because you see what you seek. And so that was one thing we did last year for Intentionally Inspired. Um, Fiercely United, um, every year we have a, a flower ceremony. So we use an orange Gerber daisy to represent Fiercely United. Actually a college teammate of mine, um, owns a business um, and she has an orange flower that's actually fiercely united. That's where I got it from. And I'm super inspired by, by her and fellow flowers. And so every new player coming into the varsity program, the, the seniors have a, a flower ceremony where they present their fiercely united flower to them. And they do a big, huge slideshow and presentation that breaks down that kid and, and who they are, what they stand for, what they bring to the team. And so, you know, our huge piece in the summer is you got to get to know everybody good enough to do a big flower ceremony at the beginning of the season. You know, you got, you got to know them good enough before the season even starts. And so, so then every kid has an orange Gerber daisy and they, they all put it in different places. They have some in their backpack, some in their locker, some hanging in their car, some it's on their, their mirrors when they get ready in the morning. And the players just say that they put it somewhere where they know that they need to feel united, that they need to know that they feel support. And so gratitude, we, there, there's a couple, I could, there's a lot flat for all of them. Um, we almost every year read the book, The Precious Present by Mitch Album together. 
Um, I think that it just sends like such an amazing positive message about the kind of people you want to be around. You know, the old man in that book talks about, you know, the people you want to be around are those ones that seek joy and, you know, like see the gratitude in life. And um, so the precious present reading, just reading that text together. Um, and then we also, we didn't get to do it last year, but before every game, we have gratitude balls. So we have these plastic balls that have our logo on them. And the girls write in Sharpies and decorate them every game. And then before the starting lineups, they all go into the stands and throw their gratitude ball to someone that they're grateful for. And they write a message on the ball every day, um, every game. And so, so we take time, even in our pregame, to, to throw a ball and say thank you to somebody in the stands. So those are a few of those things. But we just do something every day like that, that, you know, gets at a core value so that we have our core value time. You know, just to follow up on some of the stuff, I mean, it, one, I, I mean, I'm, trying to scroll down notes as fast as I can. It's so impressive. Some of the things that you guys do, I'm blown away by the ball into the stands with the gratitude. And um, I, I think that I, the biggest piece that I'm taking away from this is the, the senior connection to the freshmen and following you guys on social media this summer. It, it's so impressive to see all the things you've done as a program throughout the summer, even through July. I feel like so many programs give up on continuing through the summer because of AAU and travel and all those things. And like, I, I almost want to say you're old school in the way that like when I was a young coach, <laughs> we coached all summer and, and I feel like we've all given up July one. And I just want to tell you, it's, it's, it, it inspires me to see you guys continue to play throughout the month of July and all these posts and things like that. So um, it count me in as someone's been inspired by the Selene Hornets girls basketball program. Well, thanks. And that's a, a testament to the girls because they want to show up. And, and one of the things is we love being around each other. And so like yeah. we can't we can't stay July like all the way uh, away from each other. We got to be around each other because because we care about each other so much. And so it does take a ton of work and organizing schedules in order to get that done all the way through July. But yeah, we just wrapped up um, the last week of July. We always go up to Torch Lake for for time together to, to build those relationships. And that's where I grew up up North. And so we do all the things I did as a kid. We go to my parents' houses for dinner. We tube the river I did as a kid. We go to the hole in the wall restaurants that I had growing up and, and kind of get to know each other as, as people. And so we usually take the first couple of weeks off in August and then man, 10 days into August, I usually have kids text me. So are we going to start workouts again? Are we going to start open gyms again? So it's, it's a testament to them and how much these girls want to get in and work. I'd also argue it's a testament to you though, that you've created a culture that they want to be a part of so much too. So oh, thanks coach. I'm curious, you know, obviously this is really elaborate for you guys. You guys have a lot of uh, different things you do. There's a lot of layers to this. I'm curious, like how, how it came about, right? Like, was it something that you were able, did you, did you steal this from, you know, a previous coach you, you work with or played for, or is it something that, that you've just kind of come up with as you go? Like you mentioned how the Skittles thing came up just, you know, from your kids, like, is it, yeah. is it all just piecing together different things you've come across or, or like, I guess, what's the foundation of it? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of pieces, like a lot of the things that we do are all just teachable moments that I get like inspired by, like in the moment of life and like, Oh, this connects to, to what we're doing. Um, on the court and try to bring life into, into our program. I think that um, the core values came about, I, I haven't been a part of a program that had core values, um, but it was when I was gonna get interviewed for, for the job four years ago. And I, I take coaching very seriously. I, I think that um, there's not too many people out there that know what a varsity coach's life is like and the, the amount of work that it takes in, especially if you wanna do it well, man. It, it's, 
it's different than what the outside eye would see. And so before I interviewed, I, I just asked myself, I said like, who am I? What do I stand for? Like, cause if I'm going to do this thing, like I have to know. And, and, and so I sat down and, and brainstormed, like, who am I? What do I envision this program standing for? Like, what can we get behind no matter what? And, um, that's kind of where it all, all shook out. Um, some of it, like I said, the Fiercely United was inspired by one of my college teammates. Um, and I, I still talk to her every day. She's one of my go-to inspirational gurus. We, we sit and brainstorm philosophical stuff all the time. Like she's, she's one of those people. And then gratitude is something my family instilled in me from, from a really young age and growing up in a small town, we didn't have a ton. We had lots of challenges and, you know, within our family and, and gratitude was just something that, that we had to live by. Um, and intentionally inspired is just something that I learned going through life. Like, who do you want to be around? I want to be around people who are inspiring and want to be inspired. Like that's, that's the kind of people that, that make you happy, that make you motivated. And let's face it, in the grind of basketball season, it's the longest season of all the seasons, right? I mean, it goes yes, long. Um, <laughs> you have to be surrounded by people who are inspired. Otherwise the, the wheels fall off come February and, you know, cause it's such a long season. And so, yeah, that's kind of, it just was all a, a mismatch of, of, of what I wanted and could see myself being a part of. Coach, um, you know, like I said, I, I'm moved by the, the stuff you're talking about. And, and unfortunately, I don't have daughters. I have two teenage boys that, that can't stand me. But um, at least that, that's what they tell me half the time. But if I had one, I'd, I want her to be a part of a culture like this. And, and I know that I'm trying to be better every day at building a culture of my own like this. But that being said, I always have parents that don't feel like it's really my role to um, or my job to instill a culture like like this, you know, they're like, well, just do your job, coach my kids, you know, and things like that. Do you ever get any of that? Do you get any pushback at Selene in that way? Or I, I don't want to say, I don't know, pushback, but maybe not buy-in from some of the parents on the outside. Well, I, I can tell you when I started um, my, my first parent meeting, I, I, I sat and I like laid this out and I said, you know, this is what we're going to be about. And then the basketball is going to fall into line. I promise you, if we can just be this and and I, everybody wasn't there right away. <laughs> um, definitely that, that first year, um, uh, the, it took a while and it takes a commitment. It, it takes a, a true commitment to it. You have to do it day in, day out. The kids have to see that that's who you are, that you don't waver from it, that like wholeheartedly that is what you represent. Um, and then when you make it, you have to connect to the kids' lives and where they're at and, and make them have a voice, I feel like is so important and really make them a valuable piece to the culture. Because um, these core values don't work if they're mine. You know, I, I came up with them, but it doesn't work if it's mine. Like the kids have to be invested in them. And so that takes like deliberate time. I mean, and there was like my whole first year where I was like, man, like, is this really going to work? Like I had this vision. I was just going to come in with all of these, these core values. Everybody's just going to love it. You know, that's what they're going to do. They're just going to love it. And that just didn't happen right away because when you have a culture, it doesn't happen without trust. And, and so like that takes time to build. And so every year it's gotten better. And I, I think that the now I, I have to tell you, like I listen to, to coaches on the road, talk to coaches at, and everybody's talking about parents and everything. And I am so lucky. Man. The, the Celine parents are, they are the culture. And, and this doesn't work unless parents buy in 
And it's taken years, but like now, like I feel like our parents are invested. They want the, the girls feel good about it, and the girls step up in the at home and they say like, "No, this is how it is. This is how we talk." And and, and the parents have bought in. Some of the most amazing human beings are the the parents of of my players, and and this doesn't happen without them, and it doesn't happen without the coaches that are with me, living by it as well. Um, and so I'm thankful for the coaches. And then the bottom line is the players are the ones that have to carry it out because the magic happens behind the scenes. When, when I'm sitting, giving an inspirational speech, everybody's going to be nodding. They're going to be like, yeah, but when you have to then live it after you don't get in three games in a row and then you, things are going wrong or, or you've lost, we've lost, or you're, the ball's not going in the basket. And can you maintain this perspective, even when things are going wrong? The, the reality is, is that that comes from leadership of the players. And I have been just fortunate to have groups of, of girls that have been committed to the culture and they're aware of it. And they, they're deliberate about making sure that it happens. I'm, blown away it gives me hope for the world because there are young high school strong women out there that that can really make make a change in the world because they have they're the ones that make this this magic happen it's a weird question but um you ever think about uh if you didn't have these and what it would be like if you didn't have you know you're just trying to be positive and kind of work without a plan but just coach basketball and 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 build relationships with your kids, but really not have this, these layers and this, this complexity to your culture, or at least your, your principles. You ever think about what it would be like? Yeah, we lose a lot more. Um, and, and it'd be a lot more miserable. So in that, that has been shown like throughout the years of, of my tenure here, the more that our culture has grown, our success has grown. And like, and there's times when I'm like, we're not even that much better of a team than we were the previous year we're just more united and we um even on the court we have to look out for each other so like i mean the kids are so bought in for each other that you know that's what brings the joy and i'm a lot more happy with these and we win more with these and we talk about it all the time you know last year our, our kind of slogan that evolved was um unity is our special sauce is what we said we always <laughs> said we're saucy and so like we we redefined what it means to be saucy and our our sauce was was how much we we care about each other and what our culture is and i think that over the last years like there's been games where we've upset teams with more talent because um these kids are are really in it together and i i, I we couldn't do it without the the core values well, 40 and four over the last two years, it's not too bad. Just throwing that out there for you guys, anybody, anybody, anybody keeping track, that's, that's not too bad. So anyway, well, speak, speaking of numbers, let's, uh, let's talk about another number and number three, and that would be the three ball that seems is a, is a big part of the NBA. It's a big part of college, big part of the men's high school game, but not always at the women's high school level, to be honest. But when you watch the Celine girls play, that's not necessarily the case. There seems to be the ball going up a lot from behind the arc and with a pretty high level of success. Now, the best part about the, the pandemic last year and the live streaming is that a lot of people got to, to tune in to each other on off nights. 
So we all got to watch Celine girls play and make their little run last year. And I, that was one of the first things that just jumped out at me is saying, you guys spread the floor and you shoot the ball really well. So before we get into kind of the dynamics of, of, of your three-point philosophy and attack, by the way, I heard you were a pretty good three-point shooter back in the day at Calcasca, but that's that's for another podcast. Uh, that, that, was, that was my thing. Yeah, that's what I hear. That's what I hear. So um, what a, like, do you guys have a goal in terms of the number of threes you want to take in a game or the number you want to hit in a game? Or, or do you also have any numbers from last season that you can share with us? To yeah. Kind of, uh, yeah, we don't have a set number of, of threes that we want to take. We more have um, just the type of shots we want to take. And so wherever those shots fall and, and oftentimes they end up being threes, that happens. But I just numbers wise, I looked through because I knew we were going to talk about this. So yeah, my first year, we took two and a half threes. No, we made two and a half threes per game. And, and so, and that was not what I wanted. <laughs> that, that was very low. But at the same time, like that probably is the number we should have been making because our, our form and um, shot selection was not where it needed to be. We hadn't done the reps that we needed to do in order to be a great three-point shooting team. There's just a lot of extra work that has to go in if you want to be consistent from the three ball. So the other thing tied to it, when I give these numbers, because I, I think they're completely connected, is my, my first year, we only averaged 6.6 6 assists per game. And I think that the assists that we, we have a goal assist number, um, not a three-point number, but as the assist number gets hit, that that does correlate our, our three, the, the amount of threes that we make go up as well. But last year, we shot 35% from the three-point line. That's crazy. And we made seven and a half threes per game. So my first year, we made two and a half threes per game. We made seven and a half per game. We had double-digit threes 10 times last year in that shortened season. And so I, I think that that's, that's a pretty cool stat for, for girls basketball, double-digit threes 10 times. Yeah, we made wow. 148 last year. Yeah. We took 21 a game. So yeah. So we took, we took 23s per game last year too. And then, but then last year, assist wise, we averaged 15 assists per game. And so you know, that was, I think that that's a, a huge connection there. Those are the, the two big stats that, that we're looking at. Coach, I'm curious. I know something that really comes with the three ball, especially in the NBA more than anywhere else is the elimination of the mid-range game. Do you guys like try to avoid shooting mid-range shots or, or is it really just, you know, you're, you're looking for the threes? Yeah, I think it depends on the player. So uh, uh, we talk about that we, we want to take sevens and we just, we find what a seven is. And so we talk a lot about shot selection. So we don't give anything a 10 because everybody missed wide people miss wide open layup. So there's not a 10. So a nine is a wide open layup. We take those every time. Um, an eight is a on balance, semi-contested layup. And so like, if you're on balance, um, even if you're semi-contested, we take that, that's an, that's an eight. And then a seven is an open shot in your range. And so like outside of that, we don't want to take shots other than that. And so I think that the key to the success in that is the communication with the players and making sure the players know what their seven is, you know? And so some of our players are, are excellent mid-range shooters or off the dribble. Some maybe are not. And so that's not a seven for you. And some of them are three-point shooters and some of them are not. Now, most of them can shoot the three. Yet last year we had 10 out of our 12 kids have games where they made multiple threes in a game. And so most of our kids can, can shoot the three, but yeah, really it's the seven. So I, I don't, I don't discourage the mid range. I think it works itself out if, with our numbering system with the seven, eight or nine, 
like it doesn't it doesn't happen all the time where you take the mid range because it doesn't necessarily fit in with with our numbering system. But I don't get mad if they're open and, and they're in the mid range. They they need to shoot it. But if their toes on the line, they need to know where they are on the floor and they need to get behind that line. <laughs> yeah. So it's August fifth. You know, about a month from now, and and I know you you said you might connect with the girls earlier, but about a month from now, you're gonna start getting back in the gym. You're gonna be doing four girl workouts and things like that. So we're gonna get into that. What are some things we would see if we came to one of those workouts where you nurtured the ability to make threes and things like that? Um, yeah, and my, my kids. More kudos to my kids. My kids want to get in the gym all the time, and so I'm, you know three days a week, two, four on ones, three days a week, I'm, I'm filling up. I mean, like we're, we're in there all the time. And, and so and we do it in regular practices too. A lot of the things we do in our four on ones, you'd see in regular practice. Uh, I am very deliberate about making sure that we take time for skill development in our practices. Um, I think that that's just, we got to be able to pass and, and shoot and defend. And so, so we do a lot of that. And so um, I think within shooting drills, we spend time on, um, on form and really breaking down form. Um, my dad was a varsity coach for, for 30 years and up North, he's known as the shot doctor. He, <laughs> he, he led Kalkaska to be an amazing three point shooting program. And he taught me a, a ton about just the analytics of how to break down a shot and, and, and help a kid improve. And, and so we take time individually. I do with each kid in terms of improving their form and fixing it. And the kids have been so open-minded and it can be hard by the time you get to high school and all of a sudden I'm telling you to change your shot but they, they commit to it and it pays off. You see their percentages go way up, like as, as their careers go on, as they make tweaks within their shot. So, so individualize working on their form and feedback after each shot on their form is, is something that's important in our four and ones and in practices, we track everything. So we, all the drills, we, we track numbers. So the kids know what their, their highest is. They know what their, their goal is. This is the goal we're going for. Here's what your individual best is. And, and so we track those. They're all competitive in that way so that they, there's an element of pressure because um, they have to compete against themselves and others. In our regular practices, when we've got you know six hoops for each shooting drill that we do, we, we track and each hoop like goes up the line to like the championship hoop, if that makes sense. And so if you win, you move forward. And then, you know, you, if you lose at the top hoop, then you go all the way back down to, to the beginning. And so that is another dynamic and that we do. So it's just competitive and it's different per drill. So like <laughs> my assistant coaches are awesome keeping track of everything because like each drill has a different champion, if that, if that makes sense. So, so that has been a, a really fun part. We take time after each of those drills, not just to celebrate who won at each hoop, but we go through and our, our managers and, and assistants identify anybody who got their high score for the season. So we take time to celebrate not just those winners at the hoop, but who is improving is, is also a huge thing to take time to, to celebrate because it's all about growth. You know, like I want you to compete. I want you to try to get to the top, but like uh, if you're at the last hoop and you're still there, but you know, you're plus five from where you were a month ago, like let's all celebrate that because that, that's what it's all about. It's not just catch and shoot stuff. So we do tons of different game type situations um, within the, the threes that we take coming off screens and, and flaring and in transition and jab step, step backs deep, like all, all the different types of threes. We take time to, to, to work on those. So. You mentioned transition. So let, let's, let's look at that a little bit. So when Selene gets the basketball, either after a make or a rebound or whatever, and you guys are coming up the floor, 
um, I, I recall seeing you guys shoot some quick threes. Yeah. Um, like you're looking for it. Obviously, it's a great time to knock it down. What, what is there anything in particular you guys are doing offensively to create those early opportunities? We, sp we spend a lot of time and it's still something I would say that like is a huge thing that we have to improve on. I'm still not like feeling like we've completely got it yet, but we spent a lot of time working on um, what it looks like to, to get out in the break. We, we do a lot of breakdown drills. So like I do a ton of like little simple drills that are just like, let's focus on like the 10 steps that you take from when the rebound happens to, to where you go your next 10 steps. So, so working on the reach step explosion to get out of there, sprinting to the sideline, and then how we get our butt to the sideline to see the basketball as we run up the court, like just breaking down, um, what does your feet look like when you do that? Where should you be looking? Because <laughs> there's there's times that you need to get, you know, those first two steps are so huge, you know, and, and so much energy is wasted looking back at the ball in those first two steps. And then all of a sudden they're not looking back at the ball when they need to look anyways, but we break down that a lot. And then we talk a ton about, we pass over half court. Like, that's just something we say, like we, we pass over half court and it's a, a stat that like I've statted. Um, we had Emily Wilchinski was a senior point guard for me last year. And, you know, she was not a flashy player. I, I bet an untrained eye might miss some of the things that she did for us, but she led us in passes over half court the last two years. And, and that's, that's just a huge, the willingness to give it up early, early. And then the willingness to continue to, to trail and, and continue to run the floor so that if we do pass it up early and the per the first person doesn't have a three, then that trailer on the opposite side oftentimes will have the three. And so the, the willingness to, to trail and fill those lanes from there. I also think this is a weird thing, like within our transition and within our half court we work a ton on pivoting and I think that that has really increased the number of threes that that we have is just the the emphasis on pivots um so often the the person that's the most open is behind your head and so like we just work on being able to create situations where you draw help and have the willingness to be able to pivot to the opposite side of the floor where that that open person is standing and so that's where we, we work on it all the time trying to get into lane draw help and then and then pivot opposite so that we can see that open person drive pass pass is another one we, we talk about like you know if you don't have the three in transition then you have got to get downhill and you've got to get we say around behind we get around your defender and then try to veer behind them and then once you make the initial kick pass, then that person has a responsibility to make the second quick pass. So, you know, drive pass pass is just an excellent offense in itself in order to get threes. And we do that a lot. Coach, I'm curious, you know, looking more at the half court, uh, if you guys see some zone, obviously sometimes zones are, are viewed by people as, you know, uh, it's easy to get threes off against it, but there also are zones that are, you know, really designed well to take away the three. What, what are some things you guys do against the zone to try and get open threes? I think the key to getting open threes versus zone is actually your post presence. We, you know, we have to make sure that we occupy um, the, the middle and bottom players so that they have to be engaged. And so that way that we can overload different sides in different ways, reverse the ball um, to get the ball to our three-point shooters. But if our, our, our post players aren't occupying those spaces, then, then it doesn't work. And so we, we do a lot of, of zone work where you know we form triangles and, and overload um, different sides and just recognize, and we break down like, 
the different ways a defense could rotate, right? Like there's only a set number of ways that defenses can rotate in a zone once you once we put in our, our triangles on each side of the floor and and just making the read. Like if they do this, it's the post. If they do this, it's the corner. If they do this, it's the wing. And it, it's really simple. <laughs> and we laugh sometimes. Um, our zone offense, we're like, how do they not? Like, why are they not guarding it? But I think it's because our girls have gotten so so good at, at just making the read on the rotations where the where the zone's going to go. You, you talked about shot selection already, Coach, and how it's very important to your program. So you're taking 21 threes a game, and I'm assuming probably 20 of those are, are good shots. You know, maybe you force one at the end of a quarter or things like that. So what are you guys doing in the half court to get those good looks that, that you want from the three-point line? So uh, offensively, we run a, a lot of – we try to get a lot in transition. So that's one. So we try to shoot quick before before all of the defenders are back. We tend to get a lot of good looks there. We also um, – Run a, we just run a motion offense, and I think that we're patient but quick. So, like, we take the first seven we get, um, but we're willing to work for the seven, um, you know, at the same time. I, I talked a little bit about it. Like, we, you, it all starts with drawing help, right? Like, so, so nothing's going to happen unless you are able to draw a help situation, and then you've got the defense on, on, their, on their heels, and then we can start to get the threes because – Teams are going to cover up and, and take away the layup. And so there is a three to be had, but you have to be able to create that initial help. And I think that that's the hardest part about it is just making sure, sure girls will get downhill and that they um, get downhill without getting, well, they engage the defender without completely getting collapsed down so that they can kick it at the right time. You know, we talk about, you know, engaged, not married. You know, we got to engage the defender. You know, marriage is a whole other ball game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we engage the defender, kick it fast. And we talked about drive pass pass. We talked about the reverse pivot, but I, I, I think that it all stems from, can you generate help? If you can generate help and then you're willing to, to pivot and see the floor, you're, you're going to be able to get threes. Um, we have um, different quick hitting sets as well that we run, but um, in all of our sets, they're not robotic sets. They're really just to, to mix it up and get some natural movement. And then the kids have the freedom to to take the shot that's open. So depending on how they they defend it, we might vary from it. Um, we don't necessarily run our, our sets like robotically, like I said. You kind of touched on shot selection, you know, especially when you started numbering your, you know, kind of putting a number to each type of shot. If I'm on your team and I'm one of those 19% three-point shooters and maybe someone that even shoots less than 20% in practice, and I decide it's my turn to fire one up. I mean, uh, how do you how do you handle that? <laughs> or or I, should I have known before I went in the game that that's just not a shot that I take? Yeah, well, it, it's a simple thing. Like, what number do you think that was? Like, talk to me about about it. And then, um, so it doesn't have to be a like you shouldn't shoot kind of situation. It's more of like a discussion. It's you know, like talk to me about what what number that shot was, and and they know, you know, like they know and. Um, they have to tell me their scores every single shooting drill that they do. They know what they're shooting. They know what their strengths are. Um, and then I think that a lot of it comes to um, me just having individual conversations with players so that they have an understanding where I am seeing them at and that I have an understanding where they're seeing them at. But the mo last two years, I haven't had like huge issues with that. And all it takes is like, talk to me about what number that shot was, explain to me what you were thinking. And then the kids are like, yeah, that was like a five or that was a four and, and then they're good. And so I think that that's super important. 
um, that they can have a system where it's just, it's a number. It's not a personal thing. Like it's not, it's not me telling you not to shoot. It's, we have this number, we know it works. We know that we're going to get great shots. If we shoot a seven, everybody can agree to it. Everybody's like, oh yeah, that sounds right. We should take open shots and layups like that makes sense. And so people can get behind it. And I think that kids respond well to the numbering system because it's not, it's not personal. It's like, let's really understand why. And, and so I think that that helps. So appreciate that. That, that was outstanding. We're going to move on to our, our uh, shot clock segment is what we call it. And this All is, right. uh, this is our campaign to uh, promote the uh, shot clock coming to Michigan high school basketball, hopefully 22, 23. Yeah, I, I see you smiling. I think that is something maybe you would endorse as well, hopefully. Um, so we're going to throw uh, we got four questions and then we're going to, we got one uh, at the end that might be a little, you might get a couple offensive rebounds on that one and get a, get a, get a fresh shot clock or something, but uh, you got 35 seconds to, uh, to answer the question. Uh, once we're done reading it, if you go over 35, like we always say, a horn may or may not go off. Uh, probably not. But one of these days, we're going to surprise somebody. So you never know. You might be the first one. So, Josh, you want to lead us off? Coach, um, I read somewhere that your hometown of Kalkaska averages about 126 inches of snow each year. Okay. So what was your favorite winter activity up there other than playing basketball? I don't know that I did anything else other than playing basketball, man. And, and I went to, I played at Northern Michigan university, which gets more than 126 inches of snow a year. Um, but, but I was in the gym all the time. I mean, I, I guess I, no jokes aside, I played AU in Detroit in inner city Detroit. And so my parents drove me from Kalkaska to Detroit twice a week for practice and every weekend. And so um, probably reflecting back, one of my favorite wintertime activities was sitting in the car with my parents, you know, like I had four hours both ways with my parents and the conversations that I got to have during that experience were, were, were so precious to me. That's great. And, and I agree with you. There's nothing to do outside in the snow, if you ask me. So it's always 65 or 70 degrees in the gym. Yeah. It's never a good idea to be skiing or snowboarding as a, as a basketball player. So that's good. That's your point too. Good point. Coach, your, your father was a longtime coach at Kalkaska, as you mentioned, uh, a legend with 400 career wins. Your, your mom, uh, Diane, also coached varsity basketball at Posen, I believe is what it's pronounced, mm -hmm. right? By the way, all three, uh, mom, dad, and daughter have all won district championships. I don't know how many of those yeah. trios in the state uh, you could say that, but both also currently uh, attend as many Celine games um, as possible, I think I've read. So what type of spectators are they? Are they, are they nervous? Are they animated? Are they reserved? How would you describe them as spectators? Um, they're, they're definitely animated. Um, I think that my mom is more um, the, the cheerleader, woo-woo, like really cheering on um, my players. Um, my dad definitely takes it more from the coaching angle. I think um, he also is a little bit more focused on what the officials are doing at any given moment. And so, you know, last year he was actually an assistant coach. He came down and, and I had to give him the talk, like, listen, I know that part of your coaching style is talking to the officials. I, I do it a little different. So you're, you're going to have to work on it. It's so, but yeah, he's, he's definitely vocal about the coaching aspects and, and shouts out feedback and for both my players and the officials. Very cool. Coach, I got a, a basketball philosophy question for you. So let's say in a game, you've got a, a starter that picks up two early fouls. Um, are you someone who's what I would call an auto bench 
coach where you, you know, they're out the rest of the half or are you willing to, um, to bring them back in? Or, or I guess, what is your, your foul trouble philosophy? Yeah, it depends on the player and it depends on the score, I think. Um, and so I think that if we're, if we're up, uh, they're coming out and it depends on if I can, what I know about that player, can I trust them? You know, there, there are some players that I know could, can go in and play smart and not pick up the third. And then I've had other players that they've shown me time and time again, that they just can't stop the like over the back, you know, rebound foul or the extra reach. And so I feel like I need to sit them, but like, you know, we were playing Wayne Memorial in the regional championship this year. Ella Stemmer gets two fouls in the first 30 seconds. She ain't, she's not sitting on the bench for long. Good, call. So, Good coaching, think, by the way. <laughs> but I, I would say earlier in her career, I, she couldn't go in as soon with the two fouls because she had to learn how to control herself within that foul trouble um, situation. And so I think that, again, it's, it's the player, it's the score. Our Twitter poll, by the way, I should say Matt's Twitter poll, yeah. it, which uh, he, he included you in as well as me, and I was not thrilled about that. But our Twitter poll predicted that Celine would be the best girls basketball team in the Ann Arbor area again next year. Are you buying that? Man, I, I show up with my team and compete with my team every day of the week and twice on Sunday, I choose us. Uh, what I will tell you is that the Ann Arbor area is deep in girls basketball. I mean, it is a, a fun time to, to be a part in Ann Arbor. You talk about the SEC Red. The team that takes fourth in the SEC Red has a legit chance of a regional final. You know, like we're talking about, I, I think that there's four regional finalist caliber teams in our, in, in our um, conference. And then the fifth and sixth, and they're not bad either. It's just we're we're so deep and so loaded, and that's just the SEC red. So I, I choose us every day, but I'm telling you, Ann Arbor area and the SEC red is tough, and there's a lot of great teams out there. Final question, and, and this goes back to Twitter. Uh, you posted a, a, a pretty popular tweet on July 15 that went something like this. Uh, only four of 30 teams at team camp had female coaches. You can know the game and be female. You can be a leadership, be in a leadership role and be a great mom. You can be exactly you and earn respect. Women, let your gender roles go. The world needs your leadership. If you don't mind, we'd really like you to expand on that a little bit. Uh, it's obviously an issue in women's basketball, and it's clear that it, that it strikes a nerve with you. Um, so uh, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, you know, obviously those, those numbers, we've got 100% of the athletes are female and less than 15% of the coaches are, are female. And so, you know, that number just needs to change uh, and, and women need to be able to see themselves as strong leaders. They have so much to offer and so much to give. And, and I think that just what I was trying to get at there is just both and thinking. You know, there's, there's so many times we say either or, but it, it's gotta be both and, you know, like there can be men and women coaches in girls basketball. And you can be, like I said in that tweet, you can be a great mom and a great coach. And, and so sometimes we get stuck in either or situations. And I just want all the young women out there to know their worth, their power, and know that whether it's coaching or any other leadership role that's out there, they are deserving and the world needs it. The world needs their perspective and they need their leadership. And we need more women out there representing so that young girls and young females have visual representation that yes I can do that too. Wow well said well said well you're you're living proof of that and uh 
and representing representing yourself and your family and your team and your and your school really well. So uh, it's it's been a a very short journey so far. Only four years as the varsity coach, but I know I know we're all fans and been following and really intrigued by the rise of Celine women's basketball and expected only to only to keep going, especially with uh, like some of the foundation that that you that you explained earlier in the podcast. So I was gonna say I think it's safe to say that we all have a new favorite lean basketball coach on the podcast there's no doubt about that it's 100 jake is a yeah he's a distant second but at least he's second i mean so we'll we'll yeah jake is awesome and if he commentates our games have you watched any of our games that he does the the color for i turned the sound down if i knew he was commentating but oh he's awesome so two two or three games this year he was the color commentator for our our live stream i did not i did not know that we need some video of that yeah, we, yeah. oh, yeah. Gosh, it's, it's awesome. And he does his homework, too. He works. Like, he, okay, what are the keys before the game? Talk, I'm like, he's he's all in. So, Jake's a fabulous guy and, and passionate about hoops. And I Man, really we got to find some archived video of that. We gotta, that that's, that's good stuff right there. So, yeah. uh, but anyway, yeah, we love, we love having fun at, at Jake's expense. So, he is a great guy. So, anyway, Leanne, again, appreciate you taking time out. Enjoy the rest of your summer. It's almost over. And we will see you on the court soon. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate all the kind words and and having me out here. All right. Take care.